So we gave you a snapshot of James. Let's pray together. Let's open up our heart. And let me just say to you, I said this last week. I want to say it again. You know, there are times in our life when we have an epiphany moment with God where just God just comes and just, you know, just all over us. Man, it's an amazing thing. Kind of like when you got saved or filled with the Holy Spirit or, you know, when you got married and the lights and or whatever. You know, you have these moments well, uh, and they change your life. But most of the time, change happens over the course of time. And I want to encourage you in this book and cause you to realize that as you apply yourself to the study of the Word of God, uh, and especially to the study of this book, you'll look back over six, eight weeks and go, man, my life has been changed by the power of the Word of God in my life. I really believe that. So uh, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be teaching the Word. So I believe the believe you're going to be changed. Tell somebody tonight, look out, you're going to be changed by the power of God's Word. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, so James chapter 1, here we are. We introduce the author to you, and he is the brother, or some call him the half-brother. Some call him the little brother of Jesus. There's a number of James in the New Testament, uh, but uh, he's the brother, the half-brother of Jesus. And, uh, you know, in his beginning of his life with Jesus, Jesus was just his brother. In fact, uh, James, the Bible says, he did not really believe or follow Jesus in Jesus' earthly ministry. He got born again uh, at the uh, uh, resurrection, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But I want to show you something, interesting thing. I want you to kind of get this in context uh, uh, about James and his family. Turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 21. I just thought this kind of funny, uh, uh, and uh, in hindsight being twenty twenty. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. Now catch verse 21, one verse. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Now, who are his own people? His family. (laughs) They were having what we call trying to get an intervention. I don't know if you've ever had a family intervention, but Jesus' brothers and his family, they thought, you know, and you know, why, you know why Jesus was crucified? We're, you know, we're about, we're in the middle of Holy Week. Do you know the kind of the core reason other than it being the plan of God, why Jesus was crucified? Pardon me? His own received him not, but there was a reason, a legal reason, if you will, a religious reason. And what, anybody else want to, yes? No. Well, that's the right, but the reason he was crucified was because he was declaring himself as God. And so they thought he's lost his, and so can you imagine your, you know, how many of you, how many of you would be a little hard if you'd embrace your brother or your or your, even your mother, your daddy, or your son, even as God. Oh, I, I gave Mary, I get, you know, Mary had some insight about Jesus, but not the brothers. And, and now Jesus' ministry begins after some say 30 years and, and he's out ministering and he's declaring himself as the son of God. Uh, and so his family, number one, I'm sure they were concerned about him. And uh, wanted to, they said, bring him home. He's lost his mind. We got to get this. I mean, we knew he was, reli- we're all religious. We knew he was pretty sharp, but now he may have gone out of bounds. Uh, but how many of you know he wasn't out of bounds and he was the son of God? And so you see James throughout the gospels, he never, he never uh, recognized Jesus as the son of God. But in John, pardon me, in 1 Corinthians 15, at the, after the resurrection, you will notice that uh, we, we won't go there, but you'll notice that it says he appeared to uh, the disciples. He appeared to 500 and some others. And then it says, and he, and he appeared to James. In other words, the resurrected Christ, the brother of James, had a special one-on-one meeting with him, uh, and it radically transformed his life. Uh, and I don't know where we are in the PowerPoint, but uh, I think I've got, yeah, there we go, converted at the resurrection. And then we see in Acts 15 and other places where he quickly became uh, uh, involved in the church leadership, and most people would call him Pastor James. Everyone say Pastor James. 
He was the pastor, probably, of the Jerusalem church. And in fact, Acts 15 is the Jerusalem council where they were arguing on whether, whether or not if you were circumcised, whether you were really, if you weren't circumcised, whether you were really saved. Uh, you know, there's serious things to argue about in church all the time. And, and, the, and these religious, you know, the Jewish uh, 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 vein, of course, there said, you know, we've all been circumcised and there was a conflict. And so there was uh, Peter and James, uh, Peter and John spoke up and others. And then James gets up as the pastor of the church and says and declares the resolution of the matter. And, and in fact, I think King James says, my sentence is, it's almost like he dropped the gavel as the pastor and said, this is what we're going to do. Boom, discussion over. Uh, and uh, so he became very involved in the leadership. And then, as I said last week, uh, he probably, according to Galatians chapter one, had a lot of influence in Paul in his early ministry career. Because if you go to uh, Galatians chapter one, he talks about, Paul talks about after he got saved, he spent three years kind of in asylum, if you will. And God speaking to him and he, and he contemplating all the things that God was doing in his life. And possibly too, he was unsure about his ministry because you go to Acts chapter eight, what was he doing? He was giving hearty approval to the persecution of the saints. In fact, going into houses and dragging out women and children. They martyred Stephen under his, his leadership and blessing. Saul later called Paul. And so Paul gets saved, of course, uh, and he spends three years maybe in hiding out. I don't know. But until possibly the church could kind of embrace him. So in Galatians chapter 1, he says he goes to the church after three years. He spent 15 days with Peter. And then he also met with James, the half-brother or brother of Jesus uh, and and I believe I believe James was just from that verse, and then the fact that Paul makes sure we all know in First Corinthians fifteen that the resurrected Christ had a special moment with James. I really believe uh, James had a real leadership influence in Paul in his early ministry career, uh, and so a man of great influence, a man of great leadership. And here's the quick snapshot I gave you, uh, and, and it had to do with his attitude. His attitude is found in verse 1 where he says, James, what? What does it say? Are you there? I'm not there. I'll look there. It says, James, bond servant of God. Now, nowhere does it mention that he's the brother of Jesus. Uh, he's, what does he say? I'm the bond servant of God and of his son, Jesus Christ. So his attitude was one of humility, modeling that of his brother Jesus, half-brother Jesus, modeling that wonderfully. In fact, we'll see where he ministers that truth later in the book. His audience was those who were scattered abroad, the persecuted church that, that went all through the area and, and, and scattered abroad, but they didn't scatter as, as scared little chickens for the Bible says that these persecuted Christians went all over the area uh, and uh, under the prophetic mandate, because you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so little did they know that that prophecy, that declaration over them, would begin to be fulfilled because of persecution in their life. So they were persecuted and scattered and the kingdom of God began to expand and there was multi-site. You know, now today we have churches. In fact, we're almost like a multi-site church. You know, Pastor Ron birthed us. We have Sour Lake Church on the Rock. We have uh, um, a couple down south and others in different places. Uh, but uh, in Jerusalem's case, they were like the, uh, a, a, a multi-site campus all over the known world. Uh, and so James felt the need to minister to each of these in the book of James. And most theologians believe that James very possibly was the first letter that was inspired by God. He was the first one to pen uh, the word of God through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and put it into play for the kingdom's sake. So whether or not that makes him more spiritual than others, he was a man in season and timing for the, the early church who had been persecuted that was scattered abroad in all different directions. Uh, and his admonition to them was persevere. I want to say persevere. Tell somebody around you, you got to keep on keeping on. 
And we looked at that, that theme all throughout James. It's persevere. Of course, the most well-known one is in verse 2 where it says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or really perseverance and endurance. So that's a real theme. How many of you know the persecuted church? Uh, listen, did you know there's a persecuted church in the, in, in the world we live in today? I've met some of them. I, I know people who have have uh, who literally lay down their lives every day for the gospel's sake because of persecution. I've met some of their families uh, have been scattered. Their churches have been burned. Their houses have been burned. I've met them. I know it's real. And so uh, this admonition uh, applies to them, of course, but I think it applies to us because even though we may not consider ourselves persecuted, we are under pressure by this world's thought system. And we're going to look at that tonight in a very interesting way uh, in just a few moments. And his advice to them throughout this book, uh, really the theme of the book, his advice is let your faith go to work in your behalf. And really the theme, the importance of developing a faith that works. Everyone say a faith that works. Listen, our faith, and, and I'm, I pinned this kind of in my own thoughts, it ought to work for you and it ought to work through you. You see, the faith that God has given you, it ought to work for you. you. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Faith. But as we look in chapter 2 a little later, we'll find that, and, and even some tonight, we'll find that the, that the genuine faith that we have not only works for us, but through us. In fact, James 2 says, hey, show me your faith without, without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. And so genuine faith is not just a confession of believing in God and trusting in God. It's an outworking of that faith in everyday life. And we'll see some of that uh, tonight. So, so he says, let your faith go to work for you. And, and build, let your faith grow and be built and develop a faith that works. And tonight we're going to jump in and, and talk about uh, another aspect of faith of endurance, and that is wisdom for times of temptation. Wisdom for times of temptation. And, and let me just say, how many of you know temptation, it, though, can be seasonal? You know, when Jesus was tempted uh, and he was victorious over the devil in, in uh, was it Luke chapter 4, it says the devil departed him until an opportune time. How many of you know the devil knows that there are opportune times to get up all in our business and begin to tempt us? Well, James provided wisdom for the trials. And he said, if you lack wisdom, ask God. But then he goes in verse 12. Let's jump in in verse 12. <coughs> and let's read this. And we're going to talk about wisdom for times of temptation. Blessed is the man. Here's this theme again. Who does what? endures temptation but the rich he goes on to say he he said well pardon me i i got sidetracked blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved he will receive the crown of life which the lord has promised to those who love him now follow me let no one say when he's tempted i'm tempted by god for god cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt him himself nor does he himself tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. Everyone say own desire. And enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And so he's coming along now and he's, he hit the trials and now he, he's hitting the temptations and he's given some insight, some wisdom for times of temptation for us, for that persecuted church. And so I want to show you some things about that. In fact, turn over to James chapter 3. <clears throat> James chapter 3, he talks about two kinds of wisdom, a worldly wisdom and a worldly mindset, and then the heavenly wisdom. And I just thought it'd be good to read this so you'll kind of understand where James is coming from. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and boasting and lie against the truth, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, 
sensual and what? Demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above, which we're going to learn some about it tonight, is first pure, then peaceable and gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he says, listen, there's some ways you look at life. If you look at life through the lens of your flesh, if you look at life through the lens of, of your own desires, uh, listen, that, that doesn't come from God. It's fleshly, it's earthly, it's sensual and demonic. And it says, and where that, where envy and self seeking exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. What's he trying to get them to look at? Realize, hey, there's a world system and there's a God system. And when it comes to the temptations of this life, for the wisdom that we need to be able to be victorious in times of temptation, you got to lean on God's wisdom. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, for his wisdom. And he'll give you wisdom. I'm telling you, uh, when it comes to temptation, he will give you. In fact, you know what Paul said in First, uh, is it 1 Corinthians 10? He said, he'll give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In fact, let me, let me just dash over there. If you're taking notes, you ought to write this down. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Somebody say, God is faithful. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, we already read that Jesus doesn't tempt people, but he says when they come, guess what? I'm faithful and I'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it or may be able to overcome it or be victorious in the midst of it. So uh, how many of you want the wisdom of God in your life over temptation? I'm going to give you some tonight. It's not based on my wisdom, but it's based on the wisdom of the Word of God spoken through the Pastor James to the church that was scattered abroad. Uh, hey, let, uh, let me compare a couple of things because he just talked about trials and now he's talking about temptations. I want to give you a little comparison so you'll understand the difference because they are different. A trial, the testing of God concerning our faith. We learned that last week, that God tests us. And that's a trial. It's a test. What did he say? The testing of your faith produces patience. Now, how many of you know the devil does not want to produce endurance in your life? So we know that a trial a test. Somebody said, how do you know the difference between a trial uh, and a test or, or and a temptation or an attack of the devil? Well, if you rebuke it, it doesn't go away. It's probably a test because, hey, anything else is the devil. God initiates these trials and these testings. If you look at the life of Job, even though he was tempted throughout his life after he lost his family, it was really what? A test of faith. And when Job lost all that he had, because God allowed the devil to take everything he had from him. He said, naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked I return. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He passed the test and then his friends and family tried to come along and undermine his test. <laughs> How many of you know good people sometimes don't do very good things? They said, in fact, his wife, she'd had enough of it. It was so bad. What'd she tell him? Just curse God and die. Oh, thank you for that edification. Wife, I really appreciate that. That's why I married you. You're so full of love and compassion towards me in my time of need. Uh, but that's a trial. It's a testing of our uh, of God concerning our faith, and it's God initiated. Now, a temptation. I just penned this little thought about temptation. It's the snare of evil laid at the doorway of our flesh. Let me explain to you. The devil cannot hurt you or harm you unless you give him an open door of opportunity. And the only door of opportunity he has is our natural flesh, who we are, our, 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 our earthly desires, our natural desires. And we're going to talk about that in a moment, but he lays a snare at the doorway of our flesh. And in fact, later on in our notes, I'll read you one from Psalm 7 about a snare that was laid for a young man who was foolish, and did not know what was going on in his life. So it's the snare of the evil one. In fact, look in verse 14 that I just read to you. 
What does it say? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his what? Own desires and enticed. Now, how's he drawn away? By the trappings of the enemy. How many of you know the devil knows what's going on in your world? He, he never sleeps or slumbers, does he? Have you ever been through uh, just kind of, you know, skippity-doo-dah, skippity-day, oh, what a, well, I don't remember the words, uh, kind of day, and all of a sudden you realize you just walked into the middle of a snare. And you realize, man, I have an opportunity here to close the door or open the door of temptation in my life. And so uh, that's the, kind of the difference. Now, here's the interesting. Both of them, a trial and a temptation, they both require wisdom from God in order to endure. We need wisdom from God. That's what James chapter 3 was all about. You need the wisdom from above which will help you in these trauma times, help you in these temptation times, the wisdom of God. Both of them require God's wisdom to get through them. And I'll tell you, if you ask, what did he say in verse 5? If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, but let him ask in what? Faith, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And here comes compassionate James. Let thy, oh, uh, He said, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then here comes his compassion. Uh, for, not, <clears throat> for let not that man, the doubting man, suppose that he will receive anything from God. He's, an un, he's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, how many of you know, sometimes we need the leadership in our life to just tell it like it is, right? And so, hey, doubting when it comes to God's wisdom concerning temptation and trials, hey, if you're just going to doubt, and not, and not trust the wisdom of God to get you through this, not appropriate the wisdom of God to get you through this, don't let that man expect he'll get anything from God. How many of you know success in ministry and in life and victory is a cooperative effort? Our faith cooperates with God's uh, uh, purposes and plan for our life. Amen. So both require wisdom to endure, but here's the cool part. Both have a heavenly blessing if we endure. Let me show you them. Back in verse 4, we already talked about it last week. But let patience or endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, that is mature, spiritually mature, and complete or whole, lacking nothing. What a blessing for tapping into the wisdom of God. Amen? And then look, at, look down when it references temptation. Look what he says. I kind of stumbled through it in verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I'm telling you, there's reward. There's blessing for enduring the process and resisting the temptations of this life and passing the tests. Of, of faith that God places in our life and resisting the tests, or pardon me, the temptations that the evil one lays in our doorsteps, trying to entice us and seduce us and cause us to be drawn away. Look at that word down in uh, uh, verse 15, uh, no, verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away. And that's really a definition of temptation, drawing you away to the slaughter, if you will. So, just a little knowledge about the difference and then the, uh, some of the things that are alike when it comes to trials and temptations. Now, tonight I'm going to give you the anatomy of a temptation. The anatomy, just a two-part thought here that I'll kind of fill in a few blanks for you. But let me say this as a blanket statement so you will understand uh, temptation a little better. Temptation is not a sin. Everybody say it out loud. Temptation is not a sin. Now, when desire has conceived, well, look in verse 15, it gives birth to sin. Someone asked me this one time, pardon me, is it a sin? It was, it was maybe a men's group. It is a sin to look at a, 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 a naked woman. <laughs> well, not if it's your wife. And number two, it's what you do with what you look at. If you're running, if you're just walking down the road and all of a sudden, you know, some terrible sin, whether it's a naked woman or whatever, comes in front of you. Well, did you sin because you saw the naked woman or the naked man, by the way? I'll throw that out. 
No, you didn't sin because you saw it. You sin when you take that sin and you, or take what you saw and let it come into the, into the, 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 into your life and, and draw you away to a place of lust and, and, and unholy desire. So understand something. A temptation is not a sin. In fact, it says when desire has conceived, just because you see something and you desire it, that's not a sin either. It's what you do with that unholy desire. Do you put it down? Do you slam the door? Or do you play with it and allow it opportunity to set up residence in your heart? So I wanted you to know, hey, temptation's not a sin. Jesus was tempted in all things, but yet he did not sin. In fact, let me slip back over to 1 Corinthians 10. I think it references this. I just wanted to read it again to you. He says this. He said... Um, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, hey, this is not uncommon. Hey, if you've been tempted in odd and strange ways, you think, man, where did that come from? It's not odd and strange. You're not, it, the devil didn't try something new on you that he hadn't been trying on anybody else for. It's common. Temptation is common. Amen. But we don't have to sin. Everybody says you don't have to sin. Now, before you got saved, you were a slave to sin, and you couldn't help it. What sin told you to do, you just had to do. You, just, you just had no real resistance to sin because you're a slave to sin. But when you give your life to Christ, and there's a new sheriff in town, and if you read Romans 6, you'll discover that you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're a slave of righteousness. You're yielding to the righteous things of God, and what the, <coughs> what the devil comes along and tempts you, you can resist that, Amen. So here's the anatomy of a temptation. I just want to kind of give you that. The anatomy of a temptation, and this is going to sound simplistic, but I want to validate it for you. The source, as we've already mentioned, is, of course, satanic. Verse 13, if you go back to James, it says, God's not tempting you to evil. God doesn't tempt anyone to do evil. And so we know that, that uh, verse from verse 13 God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God himself tempt anyone. So we know uh, just from that that God doesn't do it. Well, who did? Well, the three big temptations that you read about in Scripture, the first one, of course, is Genesis 3, Adam and Eve. Now, without going there and reading the details of that, you know that, that the serpent, that is the devil, came along and tempted Eve to partake of the, what we call the forbidden fruit. Jesus, pardon me, God said, you can eat of all the fruit, but don't eat of this fruit. For the day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. How many of you know that's a declaration of truth for Adam and Eve? Well, the serpent came along in Genesis 3, and the first thing he did, he didn't go, boo, 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 I'm the devil and I'm going to try to trap you. He, que he, he laid a question mark before Eve. Hath God said, if you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die? And he, what did he do? Because we talked about doubt last week. He planted a seed of doubt in her about the, the truthfulness of, what God, of God being truthful to them about this fruit. For he gave all kinds of good reasons why she should partake. And that's the devil. The source of temptation is the devil. Job chapter 1, I've already mentioned it. You remember that? God and the devil actually have a discussion. And, and you know, doesn't this give you the warm fuzzy feeling when you know this? That, that, that the devil and God are having a discussion and God volunteers Job. Job didn't come to God and say, let me have him. God, God just said, well, have you considered my servant Job? No, don't do that. We don't need any unnecessary trouble in our life. How many of you know God's not opposed to validating who you are before the devil and everybody else could have get a better amen. And we know that the devil said, well, you've got to hedge your protection round about him. He said, if you'll take that down, God said, okay, I'll take it down, but you can, you can do anything, but you can't touch him, you can't kill him. And you know he lost it all. And I already quoted the scripture where he said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you read the end of Job, you'll discover that God in the end Rewards him, is it 10 times, three times? He just a whole bunch. He just, whatever he lost, it was multiplied back to him. Many, many fold. So, hey, 
The devil did that very clear. And then, of course, Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Here's another interesting, you know, it's the story of Jesus going into the wilderness for 40 days. And it says he was, catch this, led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be, pardon me, tempted by the devil. The Spirit of God led Jesus into the wilderness. Now, you say, why, why did he do that? Well, I just hypothesize a little bit to show us that we can be victorious too. That, that Jesus was all man, but he was all God. And how many of you know Jesus was tempted in all points? It says, as we are yet without sin. And so he was tempted, and we'll look at that in, in, in more detail in just a few moments. But, hey, the source of temptation, it's the devil. And as I said earlier, he lays the traps at the doorway of our, our natural desires. Now, with that in mind, let me talk a little bit about the satanic system. How many of you know the devil's very systematic? In fact, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said this. It's not in your PowerPoint notes. <clears throat> he said this. The thief comes, but for to steal kill and destroy. But Jesus said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Now, Jesus talked about the system and methodology, in a, in a sense, of the devil. He comes to steal, and then he wants to kill and ultimately destroy you. Not, and, and you say, what's the difference between kill and destroy? Well, there, there's a whole lot of difference. I mean, <laughs> How many of you know, you can kill somebody's body but not destroy their soul? I mean, martyrs for Christ who do not deny the Lord, you can kill their body, but you didn't kill their soul. You didn't kill their spirit. You, in fact, you just moved them on into the plan of God, life and life more abundantly. But he's systematic with you. And you know, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to, to the devil and his tactic and his, his system. He appeals to our natural desires, that is our flesh. Now, turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2. Yeah, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It's just really close there. You're close by being in James. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. He says this, little, uh, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, Paul's look up. Now, what, what did James talk about just a few minutes ago in James 3? The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of, from above. And he said, the wisdom of the world, it's, it's fleshly and it's demonic. Okay? And so here John hits it in a diff, little different way. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and here he does, here he, 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 he kind of he defines it a little bit. Not a little bit, pretty clearly. The lust of the flesh. Everyone say the lust of the flesh. Everyone say the lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. That's the doorways, if you will, into our natural desires that the devil uses. He uses the lust after our flesh. How many of you know our flesh? In fact, what? Mm, do I want to jump into I think I'm getting ahead of myself. I get all fired up. Uh, yeah, I can do this. Uh, Jesus, in the temptation in, Ma in Luke chapter 4, he tempted him with what? Bread. How many of you know Jesus was hungry? He'd been fasting for 40 days. And so G the devil comes along and, and, and tries to get into the doorway of his natural desire by causing his flesh to hunger after bread. He said, look at these stones. You can, we can turn them to bread. Whoo, it's time for supper. And he, that's, the, that's a doorway. Are you with me? And then the lust of the eyes. You know, i tell you what, I'll give you, I'll get off, uh, <laughs> we can't put this on the internet. I'll get off naked women or naked men because, but let me just say, that's one of the biggest issues of our day is sexual immorality. Uh, hey, I'll just, I'll just throw this out. Bluebell ice cream. That'll lighten it up a little bit. You're just walking down the aisle. You're paying no attention. You're not thinking about ice cream, but all of a sudden, it's two for five. 
And you look there and you think, no, I don't need it, but I wonder if they got any new flavors. And you start looking and then you, you, you open, and when, by the time you have opened the door, sin has conceived right there. I mean, I'm just all, maybe not really, but it's when you put it in the basket probably that's it. But yeah, but hey, that's an open door. In fact, Jesus Another temptation, he brought him up on the big uh, pinnacle and he said, look out over this. All this can be yours. Just take a look. Open your eyes. It can all be yours. Right? And then the pride of life. In fact, what was another temptation of Jesus? Hey, hey, you, you know what? And then he asked him a question. If you cast yourself off this pinnacle, and then this is the first time he does this, if you really are the Son of God, he'll give his angels charge. And then he misquotes Scripture. He used it against him. But he gave it, you know what that is? That was a, that was, he was trying to get into the doorway of Jesus' heart through the doorway of pride. If you really are the Son of God, cast yourself off your angels and give them the charge of God. Hey, see the devil, these, there's nothing new. This is the strategy and the system of this world and of the devil. He, he, wants to, he wants to get into an open door of our natural desires through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Are you with me? Now, seduction is the ultimate deception. Because verse 16, he says this. He says, uh, uh, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. He's talking, hey, listen, this temptation issue. I'm not the tempter. You cannot let the devil deceive you by allowing you, uh, allowing him into your life through the open door, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so, uh, in fact, to be deceived means to go astray, just like that James uh, passage says, when you you go astray. Now, interesting little insight. Go back to Adam and Eve. Did you know what three things the devil used against Adam and Eve? You can look it up later. The lust of the flesh. Ooh, this is good looking fruit. The lust of the eyes. Ooh, when she saw that it was good for food. And then it was desirable to make one wise. And be smart as God. Pride of life. Nothing new. Look at your neighbor with a little high voice and go, there ain't nothing new. The bait is the same. Oh, pardon me, the doorway is the same. Now, what's interesting about what I've just, this is personal. Uh, what may be a big hassle for you may not be a big hassle for me. But how many of you know the devil knows the weaknesses of our life. And let me just say, we are all weaklings without him. And here's what we've got to know. What did uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 say? God is faithful. Everyone say, God is faithful. And with that temptation, we'll provide a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Amen? Now, with that in mind tonight... Uh, I'm going to give you now part two. We talked about the source and the satanic system. I want to give you part two of the anatomy of a temptation from a biblical standpoint here in James, and that is this, the security system. Pastor James' security system to, to lock the door, if you will, on the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and not allow the enemy in to your natural desires. How many of you know, just because we got born again uh, doesn't mean that all of our... Uh, now, we reckon ourselves dead to sin, to sin. Romans 6 says, reckon yourselves dead to sin. But how many of you know you can resurrect that desire in your life by giving in to it? Are you with me? Right. How many of you know if you were tempted... And let me just tell you, uh, temptations don't usually come when you're in a crowd... When you're with your family, I mean, maybe a little, but their power over you are, are more profound when you're by yourself and nobody's looking and you think, hey, I, I can, and, and 
the opportunity to yield and give are so much easier. Uh, but let me tell you something. Uh, the, the God is faithful. In fact, you know what Paul told Timothy before I get into James? Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.22, he said, Flee youthful lusts and pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. How many of you know what flee means? Anybody want to know the, the, the Greek deep definition of flee? Run. There's nothing wrong with running. You know, and, and guess what? He said, don't just run from, but run to. Flee youthful lust and pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. Let me just throw this out, not in your notes. Let me just tell you, if you get all consumed with pursuing after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart, you won't have much trouble with the fleeing part. Are you with me? Say amen. So here we go, James' security system. Pastor James, he addresses all three of these doors in the book of James. And I want to just show you, I'm going to kind of, because this is kind of the way I think and preach and talk, uh, let me show you uh, some of his security directives in James, uh, the book of James, that you and I can embrace in our life uh, in order to stand strong against the powers of of darkness in our life as well. Uh, if you're back at James, we're going to start off in chapter one. Number one is the first security directive from the from Pastor James in regards to overcoming temptation is receive God's word. Everyone say receive God's word. Now, remember, he just in verse 12 through 16, he just uh, uh, talked about temptation that that and how it happens uh, when desire is conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it's full grown brings forth death don't be deceived my beloved brother now these passages did not give much directive on how to resist or how to be victorious but the rest of the book does somebody look at your neighbor and, and say but the rest of the book does you got to read the rest of the book and here's here's some things out of James that I'll show you receive God's word look in verse 21 Therefore, uh uh-oh, stop, look up. When you see a therefore, what do you do? You see what the therefore is there for. Well, he just got through talking about temptation and the fact that God, in fact, we didn't read verse 17. Uh, 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 Let me just do it, 17 and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Uh, Now, in context to temptation, what's he saying? God will take good care of you. You don't have to take this this demonic bait. I've got, let me, hey, let's just talk about husband and wife and, hey, go be tempted immorally with somebody else. Hey, what's God's answer? Hey, you, your wife, your spouse. Oh, we could go there. And he said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own free will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, and we are that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation or creatures. Now he's saying, man, God's got a plan for you. And it's not to take this demonic bait, which will ultimately, as it says uh, there, uh, when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Not necessarily physical or spiritual death. I mean, how many of you know once you gave your life to Christ, you are His, but you can die uh, without dying. Your spiritual life, uh, your relationship with God can die. You may still belong to him, but hey, there's, there is a consequence for continually yielding to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So verse 21, he says, therefore, that's what the therefore was there for, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now, pardon me, look up again. Now, when you look at the scattered church in Acts, you know what they were doing? Multiplying and the church was growing. Now, catch hit, catch this. This is where the boy, you know, I, I saw uh, Mark Driscoll's teaching on James on Sunday morning. He's the pastor of Mars Hill Church. And his title of James was the bold little brother of Jesus. Uh, and the bold little brother of Jesus is writing to the church, which is growing and expanding throughout the earth. You got it? And he says... Lay aside all filthiness and overflow or abundance of wickedness. (laughs) He's talking to the church. 
And then the next part is, and he said, you lay that down, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is what? Able to save your soul. Now, this context is not, the word save has nothing to do with being born again. He's talking to people who are born again. Save your mind, your will, and your emotions from the onslaught of the devil who tempts us through this filthiness and overflow of wickedness. And so how do we, how, what's, what's James' security system? Man, just open your heart with meekness. And receive, I love this, implanted. Hey, listen, implanted, that's like the seed of the word of God going down into the soil of your heart. Remember Jesus' parable of the seed in the soil? Hey, man, when seed gets into good soil, boom, it brings, everybody go, boom, boom, it brings forth fruit. Okay, come on now. He said, that's what the word of God will do if you will receive it, open up your heart and become, uh, put yourself at a place where the word of God is sown in your life. You know, the word sow, in fact, there's a psalm uh, talks about sowing that when you look at the Hebrew, you know, we think about sowing. Anybody a gardener? Any gardeners here? We think about, okay, we get our, our string, we pop our straight line, and we get our tape measure out, and we put a seed every six inches. Man, we are strategic with our sowing of seed. And, man, it looks straight. And if nothing comes up, buddy, we got straight line. You know what I'm talking about. Very strategic. This word sow has nothing to do with that. It's like, just let her fly. Just sow so much that something's going to hit some good soil. Just let it fly. Just sow these seeds everywhere. And, and hey, listen. That's the way we've got to be with the Word of God. Just let it fly. Some of us are so strategic. They go, well, uh, it's uh, Sunday. I better go get a little of the Bible so I can survive Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. No. We open up our hearts to receive His Word. It's a, it, hey, His Word if you abide in his word, Jesus said in John 8, you're his disciples indeed. And you will know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Bring liberty in your life. It's the power of the word of God. Let me just stop and say, hey, come on now. This book right here, is the, it's God's word. Not man's word. God's word to you. And it will liberate you. Hey, listen. If you got a voice message on your cell phone tonight after you, because y'all are all got them turned off or on silent so you can't hear them ring. But when you, as soon as you get, you know, the amens done, you see if you got him. And you got a voicemail from God. Message from God. What would you do? I got a message from God. You would never delete that message. You would listen to that message over and 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 over again because you got a message from God. God had enough. He loved you enough. He called you up. You're never going to delete that. Oh, you're going to get that message. I got a message from God. You'd embrace. Hey, listen. This is a message from God. We got to receive it. Everybody say, receive God's word. I'm telling you, open up our life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Just a side note. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, no, I don't have time to go there. Uh, I, let me just say this. People are hungry for the word of God. They just, many of them don't know what they're looking for. And, and to, the, to tell the truth, many of them aren't getting much of it in, in church. Not a lot of them getting it here tonight. You're getting it, but not a lot of getting it here tonight. You know why? Because they're just not hungry enough. But they just, they're hunting for it in all the wrong places. In fact, Sunday, I'm going to, my, my Easter message is, is to people who are searching for Christ. What did, we've been talking about seeking him. What did the angels say when they came to the tomb? Why do you seek the living among the dead? You, see, a lot of people are seeking life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness in all the wrong places. It's found in the Word of God. Go to get a better amen. Amen. Hunter, is that okay? Amen. All right. Here we go. So, receive the Word of God. I, yeah, I got a little time. I just wanted to show you this. Go to Proverbs 7. I could have read it in a different place. 
This old boy in Proverbs 7 did not know the wisdom and the word of God in his life. Now, chapter 7, he's talking to his son. He says, keep my words, verse 1, treasure my commands, keep my commands and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. How many of you know, what's he saying? You, you get the hold of this word. Receive the word. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call understanding your nearest of kin, that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. Now, very quickly, I'm just going to read this. This poor guy. For out of the window of my house, I looked into a lattice and saw among the simple, a perceived among the youth, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. He took the path to her house. In the twilight in the evening, in the black and dark of night, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Somebody said this one time, nothing good happens after midnight. I don't know, why. I don't know if that's true. Parents made that up. But it's true. How many of you ever heard people just out having fun and they have a terrible car wreck? At two o'clock in the morning. I mean, I'm just telling you, come on, just not, some things are just not smart. And here's this guy, uh, late at night, and he's, he's wandering down the wrong road, and he's just devoid of understanding. She was, and then, and then I saw a woman met him, uh, with an attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was, attire of a harlot? There's the lust of the eyes. And with a crafty heart, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times, she was out. She was outside. At times, in the open square, lurking at every corner. She caught him and kissed him with an impudent face. She said to him, "I have peace offerings with me today. I have made paid my vows, so I can come out to meet you diligently to seek your face. I will come. I, I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, clo- colored clo- coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon." Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let me just say, she didn't, that wasn't love, that was what? Lust. Okay, let, your, let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey and taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to, to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately, he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the what? Snare. He did not know it would cost him his life. He didn't know the word of God. He didn't know the wisdom of God, as Proverbs 7, 1 through 3 says. And he goes on to say, Now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not astray. There's that temptation. Do not stray into her path, for she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. Whoo! Somebody go, wowzers. Wowzers. Now, you, re- you combat that through the wisdom of God's word. Everybody say, receive the word. Now go back to James. The next one is respond to God's word. There's a response, not just a believing and an embracing of truth, but there's a response. In fact, verse 22, look what he says. Be doers of the word. In other words, respond to what you hear. Obey what you hear. Follow after what you hear. Apply what you hear. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, there's the word of God, and continues in it. Everyone say continues in it continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work this one will be blessed in all or whatever he does wow everybody said wowzers again now what did he say in that pa- he said you receive it but you've got to respond to it you've got to apply it you can't just believe it you've got to obey it and put it to work in your life a- amen and then number three of uh, pastor james security directives uh, for closing the door on our the temptations uh, towards our natural desires, it's developing a righteous reach. I think this is powerfully true, and what I speak of is one of the best ways to be victorious over temptation is to be so focused on others and ministering to others that the temptation does not come your way. Or in, in fact, think about David when he was tempted and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. 
It says, in the days when men went out to battle, where was David, man of war, where was he? At home, peeking over the banister. When he's supposed to be busy about the business of the kingdom, he was in neutral. And his righteous reach, if you will, had subsided. Let me show it to you quickly in all these passages. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. Uh, um, oh, no. Righteous, I think it's 19 and 20. Let me just read it if it's wrong. So then, my beloved brethren, let us each man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think that's a mis. Place. But look in verse 27. This is where I really wanted to be. He's talking about pure religion. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Reaching others. Did you catch this? Pure religion. Reaching out to those in need. And, and, and what's connected to that? Keeping yourself unspotted from the world. You see, if you get busy reaching the world... You'll have less time to reach out to the temptations of this life. Look in chapter 2, verse 1 through 17. I won't read it all, but he's talking about faith and works. But he's talking about not showing partiality with others. In other words, reaching righteously into others' lives. And then he talks about verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if one says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food? And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give them the things which they needed for their body. What does it profit there? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is what? dead. And so he's talking about reaching others and becoming other-minded. You know the focus of temptation? It's selfishness. And when you undermine selfishness with a selfless care and concern for others, the power of selfishness is broken out of your life. And thus temptation, does the stinger's pulled out of it, if you will, because it's not about you. Everybody say, it's not about me. Look in chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. He says this, Brethren, if any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cut, recover a multitude of sins. What's the focus here? Hey, how did he close? Hey, be concerned about others. You want to build a security system against the temptations of this life? Receive God's implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Respond to it. Don't be a, just a hearer only. Be a doer of the word. And reach out beyond yourselves. Because true religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to, to minister to the widows and the orphans and their affliction and keep yourself unspotted from the world. How many of you got that part say amen? And then number three, if you want another security directive from Pastor James to resist temptation that has been laid at the doorway of our natural desires, render your tongue. Now, we know James chapter 2. We'll look at it again. James, chapter, pardon me, James chapter 3, a big part of it, the first 12 verses have to do with the tongue. We won't look at that in detail tonight. Uh, but he hits this in two or three different ways. If you go back to James chapter 1, verse 19, that's where that was supposed to be. I think that's where my misprint was. What did he say? Be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What's he talking about? Their tongue there. Don't, don't be slow to speak. And then look in verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not, or spiritual, let me say, and does not bridle his tongue... He deceives his own heart. This one's religion is what? Useless. And let me tell you, one of the biggest traps that we fall into is not only with what we hear, but what we say. How many of you know you can hear something and it depends? Hey, let's go back to the poor, stupid kid in Proverbs 7. What did he hear? Come, let us fill ourselves with love till morning. Sugar daddy's gone with all his money. Oh, my bed has cinnamon and aloes and spices. Now, he heard that. 
And what he should have said is, I rebuke you, devil. And said, what the heck am I doing on this side of town? I'm going to church somewhere and have me a Holy Ghost prayer meeting. We render our tongue. Our tongue is a powerful world. It's a, in fact, look over in chapter 3. Let me just give you one thought. Uh, let me just jump. Oh, here it is. Verse 6. And the tongue is a fire. A world of what? Iniquity or unrighteousness. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the what? Whole body. Uh-oh. In other words, if you're going to deal with temptation to be victorious, you better get a grip on your tongue. And, and he goes on, he says, and it sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by what? Hell. Man, that's an open door is our tongue. Now, you know, and it, we'll look at it later. It says, no man can tame the tongue. Did you know you can't tame your tongue, but the Holy Ghost can? You know, I'm, I'm 58, I think, and I've been a Christian for a pretty good long time. And for a long amount of my time, I couldn't tame my tongue. I'd, my tongue would get me in trouble. I'd talk too much. In fact, I'll probably say this again. I heard Robert Morris talk about this. I'll finish quickly. He, he said, you know, there are different kinds of people. Those are people who, who speak before they think. You ever met anybody like that? And then there's some people who speak while they think. They're trying to figure it all out, but they're talking. And then there's some people who think after they speak. Have you ever done that? Gosh, I shouldn't have said that. He said, oh, wait, there's four kinds. There's, there's some people, they just don't even think. <laughs> they just speak. <laughs> but, but, hey, I have learned and am learning that, and many times, people think while they speak. Oh, Vice President Biden got himself in trouble. He said some stupid things. And you know what I think it was? He was thinking while he was speaking. And it came out bad. How many of you know once it goes out, it can't come back? It's been Googled and tweeted 20 times. And if they were close enough to get a picture, your Instagram posted on Facebook. Now, so we've got to understand that, hey, we've got to get, let the Holy Spirit take control of our, everybody say, render your tongue. And then number five, or six, one, two, three, four, five, resist the devil. Now, look here in chapter uh, four, he says this, verse seven and eight, or verse six, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the what? Humble. Therefore, submit to God, and here's the word, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee from you. Everyone say, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. What happened to Jesus in Matthew 4? He resisted him. How did he resist him? By the power of the spoken word of God. It is written. Everyone say, it is written. It is written. It is written. He stood his ground, and he resisted the temptations of the devil, and it says the devil departed unto him until an opportune time. And there really, from Scripture, was no other opportune time. Uh, he thought he had it at the crucifixion, but that, was, that, that backfired on the devil. So you've got to resist. It's not just like, you know, we mentioned Bluebell. It's not like going, oh, maybe should, maybe not. That's not resistant. It's taking a positive position against something. A positive, proactive stance and posture. I think of David's mighty men in the bean patch, the field of lentils. You know, there was three of David's mighty men. Uh, Eleazar, the son of Dodo. I, if your last name is Dodo, you better be pretty tough cookie. Or, depending on how you read it, son of... I don't know how you spell things. <laughs> Either way, you got to be pretty bad dude. And he took... He took uh, uh, I don't remember what he... A, a beam or something and, and he defended the bean patch killed hundreds of men and he positioned himself the Bible says he positioned himself in the field of lentils listen that's a resist I'm standing my ground and I'm going to war against you listen you do that consistently the devil will flee from you you won't be fleeing from him he'll be fleeing from you turn it around on his old Split hoof, pointy headed, pitchfork tail head, or whatever. I don't know. Turn it around. No, sir. 
I'm a child of God. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. I have authority over you. And you cannot control me and influence me. And there is no open door here. In fact, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Get behind me, devil. Amen? Everybody say resist the devil. That's great security directives. And then number one, two, three, four. Number six, develop a lifestyle of righteous praying. We've talked about that on Sunday morning, but chapter five of James, uh, you know, he talks about prayer in a very powerful way. In verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of what? The prayer of what? Faith. Everybody say out loud, faith. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven of sins. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Everyone say avails much. And then he talks about Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. In other words, he nothing special. He had desires just like us, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Hey, listen, we got to get into the mode of righteous praying and seeking God. Listen. When you become a prayer warrior, man, the devil does not want to hang around your house. Are you with me? That's Pastor James in the Word of God's security system for temptation. You just take that and I started to say put it in your pipe and smoke it, but that wouldn't be good. I'm feeling a little cranky. I don't know. See law that. Think on that. Put that into play. Hey, go back to the receptive part. Open up and receive it and let it be implanted in your life and begin to grow in you. Listen, these six things are not things that are ethereal and subjective. They are clear and to the point and will develop a security system in your life that keeps the devil at bay when he wants to Start messing around your natural desires. Are you with me? Say amen. Let's stand up together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We embrace your word tonight in our lives. And Lord, let it be implanted in us. I want everybody here just to at least pray that prayer. Say, Lord, let this word be implanted in me tonight. Let it bring forth much fruit in my heart. Let us stand strong and gain great wisdom for times of temptation. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.